Just a heads up, this episode features a personal story of mental health. If this brings up distressing feelings for you, please contact the Beyond Blue support service. I would be the one that would go over the top, get myself so drunk that I wouldn't be able to pick up a girl because at the time for me it was easier than trying to fake your way through being with a girl. Out of that uh, binge drinking came a character called Hank. Hank was my alter ego and would be the, the person who would get super drunk at a party and do something dumb or loud, obnoxious, anything to put the attention on him being a dickhead rather than the attention of him not picking up a girl. I think if you ask anyone who's met Hank before, he's not a very nice person. Welcome to Not Alone, incredible stories from everyday Australians talking about their mental health to help you with yours. This episode is about self-denial and pretending to be someone you're not. Sean had a typical Australian upbringing. He grew up on the suburban streets of Melbourne, spent his summer holidays kicking about country Victoria with his big brothers. And everywhere his childhood took him, his beloved sport followed. Sean absolutely loved sport, still does. Every weekend without fail, his parents would drive him around to basketball, to cricket, and of course, to his pick of the bunch, footy. Sean loved his family, he loved his friends, and he loved his footy. But there was a part of Sean that he didn't embrace. A piece of the puzzle he did everything to ignore. Sean was gay, and that simply wasn't part of the game plan. When I was younger, I thought my life would look different to what it looks like now. I remember looking at Dad when I was growing up and and thinking that was what I wanted to to do in terms of my, my timeline of life. I wanted to have a wife at 21, I wanted to be married at 25, having my first kid and a third boy by, by 30 because that's what dad had. The masculine sporting family I grew up in shaped me certainly a lot as a young guy. It's a, uh, a culture that sort of follows you through sport and through, through football and it's something that um, it's hard to break the cycle of. I think I first thought that I might be gay when I was about 11 or 12, I realised something might be a little bit different about me compared to my, my brothers who at that time had girlfriends and that sort of stuff. You sort of have a, the nagging voice in the back of your head that you might be, but at the same time, you tell yourself that you're not because I was terrified that if anyone in my life knew that I was gay, that they would either treat me differently or that they'd disown me. So I knew from a very young age, but I don't think it came out until I was 25 or 26. The best part of sort of 15 years living with that bag of bricks on the back of your shoulder, which is pretty hard to carry around for that long. Although Sean knew deep down that he was gay, he couldn't admit that to himself. He came up with ways to avoid confronting the truth and more importantly, make sure no one else could tell. 
To avoid thinking that I was gay, I would you push it as far into the back of your head as you can. Um, you'd also sort of play tricks with yourself, saying, oh, well, I've never actually kissed a boy, therefore I'm not gay. So you kind of bargain with yourself a little bit. Try and mask it by getting girlfriends and, and all that sort of stuff, because that's what your brothers or your friends are doing. Um, but just trying to avoid any situation that might make you look gay, the way you cross your legs, um, you know, wearing pink colours and all that sort of stuff. Towards the back end of my teen years, you start to drink and socialise. And when my friends were getting girlfriends or sort of hooking up and stuff, uh, I would be the one that would go over the top, get myself so drunk that I wouldn't be able to pick up a girl. Because at the time for me, it was easier than trying to fake your way through being with a girl. Out of that uh, binge drinking came a character called Hank, which is, I'm sure if you've seen the movie, me, myself and Irene, the alter ego Hank. Hank was my alter ego and would be the, the person who would get super drunk at a party and do something dumb or loud, obnoxious, anything to put the attention on him being a dickhead rather than the attention of him not picking up a girl. I think if you ask anyone who's met Hank before, he's not a very nice person. When Sean was Hank, he didn't have to worry about his sexuality. He could escape into the world of his wild, drunk alter ego. He could let the alcohol numb the emotions eating away at him. He didn't care if he got reported for being drunk and disorderly every weekend. He didn't care that everyone knew he was losing control. That he was out of control. Anything was better than admitting he was gay. And then, things started to get a little out of hand. Times where Hank would throw full beer cans at people when he was really drunk because he thought it was a, you know, a funny, stupid thing to do. I think the, the worst thing Hank ever done was drink driving, drove from a, a 21st birthday party, crashed into a, a parked car, uh, wrote the car off, unfortunately for Sean. Sean lost his license for 12 months because of that. Just before losing his license, Sean had bought into a frozen yogurt franchise with his mate. The store was in Hawthorne, on the opposite side of Melbourne to where he lived. Sean had to move closer to the store or he'd lose the business. Being away from my family for the first time, um, I didn't have many friends in Hawthorne. Most of my friends were Essendon, Keel away. That plus coming to terms with sexuality, being away from my mum my, my and my dad who had sort of helped me um, through life for the first 22, 23 years was challenging. My mental health deteriorated fairly rapidly. The business was going okay, not great. I didn't enjoy going down the footy club anymore. Um, I didn't enjoy playing football. I didn't enjoy going for my runs and things like that. And I remember thinking how the football club at the time was one of the best things of my life, but also became one of the worst things of my life because I never thought I'd be able to bring a partner to the footy club. So we have you know, partners and girlfriends of the players would come along. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Uh, there's, a, I guess, a, a masculine culture of footy clubs, casual homophobia, all that sort of stuff. I remember that impacting me a lot at that time in my life because that casual homophobia wasn't directed at me because I didn't know at the same time. I kind of think if I talk that way about someone who's gay, they don't respect gay people. Therefore, if I come out, it's, it's going to be completely different in terms of relationships. So um, that was one of the things that kept me in the closet for a long time and something that impacted my mental health because they're my best friends. Sean didn't know it at the time, but these were all signs of depression. 
he lost touch with his friends. The ups and downs you have, especially when you're in a bad headspace, the you know, a really good moment might be going out and hanging with friends uh, and sort of bringing your, your, your mood right up. Because for me, being around people was something that was really good for my mental health. But then you'd have a really hard come down or a crash when someone would use the word poor or gay or, or, or fag and that sort of thing in a negative context and you just, the heart would just sort of sink and that would cause me to spiral and oh well, right, I might as well go and get super drunk now and just wipe my mind of it. Um, that was a, a yo-yo um, scenario every other weekend and then sort of trying to get yourself up for the next weekend, the next social event, knowing that you're going to come crashing down was a, a pretty hard thing to, to manage my way through. The lowest of low points in, in, in my life, especially when I was sort of in the, the midst of um, the, the really down part was um, I'd sit at my parents' house, uh, I'd get drunk by myself and just think about taking my own life. The reality of my family or my parents, my brothers, my friends, in my mind, knowing they had a gay brother or a gay uncle would be an embarrassment or a, a sense of shame for them. So for me, I was kind of, I'd be doing them a favour. That is a terrifying and scary feeling when you have that sort of mental thought and it's a, it's a pretty hard place to get out of. Talking to someone else about that particular moment was the, the turnaround for me. While working in Hawthorne, Sean met Mike. Mike worked at the frozen yogurt store too. They'd spent hours working together and grew closer by the day. Then one night, after some work drinks, they shared a kiss. From that moment, Sean knew he couldn't avoid it anymore. He liked men. And now he had someone to talk to about it. Becoming friends with Mike really helped our relationship because he was going through his own things as well. Um, we both weren't out of the closet, but we both had that commonality to, to, to talk about. We both used each other as a sounding board. And I think that really helped both of us get through that really tough period in our lives. I remember having a conversation with him once about a really down moment I was having and then him saying, oh, I had similar down moments as well and just kind of talking it out, just it was a weight off my shoulders. And I remember going home afterwards and just going, I'm not the only one that feels this stuff. Uh, and for me, that was a freeing, liberating experience. It made those moments easier to deal with and work through. And it certainly changed my outlook on um, thoughts of taking my own life after that. Sean and Mike grew closer, but they were as hesitant as each other to come out. Then, Mike had a change of mind. Mike and I didn't come out at the same time or together. Um, Mike was, in my eyes, was even more terrified than I was about the prospect of coming out. And I went on a footy trip, came back, and Mike had come out with, with another guy. I remember thinking, well, first I was shattered because I, 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 I loved him. But second, I remember thinking, well, if Mike can do it, Mike was terrified completely, you know, why can't I? And he sort of helped lead the way in, in being a role model, in a sense, for me and saying, well, bugger whatever anybody else thinks, you know, 
someone else's opinion of me is none of my business, that sort of mindset. Um, and I remember going, well, just just do it. Um, easier to tell yourself that than, rather than to actually come out. First person I told was my older brother, oldest brother, and we're just sitting at my cousin's wedding and I must have been thinking about it. And I, he just said, what's wrong? And I just turned around and said it. And uh, at the time he said, I'm surprised, but I'm not. A guy like you, I would have expected you to be having girlfriends and all that sort of stuff at your age. The fact you didn't was just a bit of a trigger for him that sort of said, I, I might be, which was what I was scared of, I guess. This is why, you know, I'd, I'd always sort of have those, um, those Hank moments. But he went home and started crying because he thought of all the different times he'd used the words pull for fag and all that sort of stuff in a negative context and just thought how much, how hard it would be for me. So to see my, um, you know, my brother at the time who was 30, uh, crying in front of his son was a, was a heartbreaking thing from my end. He took it really well, my whole family took it really well. They never gave me any indication they wouldn't be good with me being gay, but at the same time, uh, you go through the worst case scenario in your head every time when you're sort of going through those mental health challenges. Every person I'm told has been, you know, our relationship has changed, but it's changed so much for the better, which has been really cool. For Sean, it was a feeling of total relief. Not having to hide who he was from his family and friends was liberating. A total game changer. It's, it's like each time I said the words, I'm gay to someone in my life, the, the weight just kept lifting off my shoulders. It didn't get easy, easy, but it got easier. It became simpler to do it every single time. Um, and I remember uh, from the footy club perspective, at the time um, when I came out, I was the captain. So I thought, well, if these players know that their captain is gay, is that going to make us the gay footy club and all that sort of stuff? After I told the footy club, they were all great. The players, every time they would use a casual homophobic word, like a pull for flag, that sort of stuff, they would catch themselves and actually apologize to me. And for me, I mean, I don't get offended by that sort of stuff anymore, but the reality is there were other players at that time who were, who were gay as well. So if my coming out changed the way people spoke to each other at that time, um, I think it helped a lot of other people as well. And uh, Mike was so comfortable coming around the football club after that. And then Sean and Mike got married. Now they spend their typical days hanging out at home on Victoria's sublime Great Ocean Road and reconnecting on regular date nights. A time where checking in on each other is at the top of the menu. Mental health now for me is about routine, I guess. So um, Mike and I, we, we both, through COVID, we both work from home. We have a really cool routine where every morning we take our, our dog Jimmy for a walk along the beach, kind of have a coffee shop uh, and just sort of have weekly conversations or, or um, FaceTime calls with our nieces and nephews and our family, which is really nice. Spending time, with, even, if, even if it's only screen time, with uh, the people that I love really helps me stay grounded and stay um, in a really good headspace. Alcohol for me used to be a vice. I think now it's more of a, a social thing for, for Mike and I, so I, I don't do it too hide away from my life anymore. I do it as an enjoyment factor, which is which is really a good space to be in for me. We try and stay as active as we can, go for runs every morning. For me, being active 
keeps me sane. Sean said goodbye to Hank a long time ago. Hank is in the past and Sean has never looked back. He no longer hides who he is and he embraces every part of his true self. Opening up and talking to someone saved Sean's life. It's the first thing he encourages people to do as soon as they're not feeling okay. Talking to other people or having that sort of first conversation is the most important thing from a mental health journey, at least in my experience anyway, because the sooner you talk to somebody else about um, your mental health challenges, the sooner you are on that road to recovery. Those conversations that you have with, with other people are invaluable because they allow you to be your true authentic self at your most vulnerable. And I think people really connect with other people through vulnerability and through stories. Those vulnerabilities helped me uh, get th- get to know Mike better was one thing, but also get to a point where I was able to love myself again as opposed to hate myself. And it's through those conversations that you um, get to that point where you start to, to really be happy with the person you are rather than be ashamed of the person you are, which is where I was. I think what I would tell young Sean or young anyone is um, find, find one person you can have a conversation with. If that is a, a friend, a family member, even you know, an online chat, don't bottle things up. And once you're on that road to recovery and you can see that light at the end of the tunnel, that's what it becomes less scary. We want to say a huge thank you to Sean for sharing his story with us. We've covered a range of mental health issues, and if anything has been upsetting for you, contact the Beyond Blue Support Service on 1300 22 46 36. We've also listed a number of resources in our show notes. This podcast was recorded and produced in Wurundjeri country, and we pay respect to the traditional owners of these lands. Thanks for listening to Not Alone.